have you ever been desperate? Like, like so desperate where you say to yourself, I'll do anything, I'll pay any cost, whatever it takes just to make this situation change. You know, usually it's like a life or death situation that you reach that type of desperation. I remember I was away at a conference several hours away, get a call, Steph's about to give birth to Pierce, unexpected, and I hop in my car, I'm racing down the highway, I'd have paid like whatever speeding ticket I had to pay, you know, I just wanted to be there, right? There's just this sense of desperate, I just got to get there. And I made it, everything was good, but uh, some of you, many of you, have probably been in situations much more desperate than that, where you'll do anything, you'll pay whatever cost, you'll do whatever it takes just if this situation would change, now, I've read about people this last week, people who they find out about some kind of treatment in some other part of the world for some kind of disease that they have that's maybe not here in the United States. And so they'll go over, they'll try this experimental treatment, they'll do whatever just because there's this desperation. If only I can be made well, if only this sickness, this disease can be fixed, I'll do whatever, I'll pay any price, I'll travel wherever, I'll do whatever just to see this changed. Well, this morning, as we're continuing our study through the Gospel of Mark, we're going to meet some people who have that type of desperation, where they'll do anything, they'll pay any cost. And in this case, it's just if I can just get to Jesus. I've heard he's the Messiah, I heard he's a healer, I heard he's a miracle worker. If I can just get to him, and there's this type of desperation. I want you to see it. Uh, it's Mark chapter 5, we'll begin in verses 1 through 20. Mark 5, verses 1 through 20. John Mark writes, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. When Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he'd often been bound with shackles and chains. But he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For Jesus was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us into the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and their herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus, and they saw the demon-possessed man, and the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed, and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the, many who had been, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Well, you know, we left off last week. You remember where Jesus, he had calmed the storm. And before that, he was uh, teaching in parables. 
And the disciples, after the storm is calm, the disciples, they had this great fear. The storm is calm, but they're still afraid. They're afraid because they're wrestling with this question, okay, who is Jesus? I mean, even the winds and the waves obey him, the storms obey him. Who is Jesus? Now, when Jesus was teaching the parables, right, the disciples, they want to learn more. They're sure they're mentally ascending to everything he's saying. Yes, we agree. We agree. Yes, you're Jesus. And so Mark, really, he's setting us up so that we would be asking that same question. That's what he's doing to his audience. Okay, who is Jesus really? And not just like a Sunday school answer, well, Jesus is God. And he said, no, no, but, but, and he said, no, no but, but who is he in every moment of every day? Do you recognize that he's greater than every moment of every day, that he can, at whatever circumstances you've got, whatever problem's going on, that he can handle it? That there's this need for him that's continuous, that's always, does Jesus make a difference in how you live? Because for the disciples, in the moment, in the storm, he made no difference. Right? They're just, they're trying to get out the water. They're doing whatever. And Jesus looks at them and says, you guys have no faith. And so this is what he's setting us up for the same thing. Do you really have faith? Faith produces action. Faith makes a difference in how you live every moment of every day. And so Mark, in setting us up for that, here's Jesus and the disciples. Remember, they've left that area to go across the lake, across the sea, to get some rest, really. It'd been a long day teaching and being with people. So let's, let's go to the other side. Let's get some rest and relaxation. Well, this idea of rest and relaxation, well, it's interrupted real quick because as soon as Jesus steps off the boat, you see that immediately, as soon as he's off the boat, the madman of the Gerasenes charges him. And this must have been a terrifying scene. I mean, we know that the townspeople were just afraid of this guy. They're terrified of this guy. Uh, they've tried to subdue him. The, the, all the best rope makers in town, the best blacksmiths in town, they can't make a rope strong enough to hold this guy back. There's no chain that's strong enough, power enough, powerful enough to contain this guy. He just snaps everything like twigs. He, get, he gets away from it, no problem. And so what do they do? Well, they have to quarantine him off kind of in the tombs, in the caves. So this area along the the Gerasenes, the area of Gadara, well, th there's all these caves there, and they use these caves for tombs where they buried their dead. It's a literal graveyard. This is where they're, they've quarantined this guy off to live. And so here comes Jesus and his disciples, and you almost have to wonder, like, Jesus, if you want a little rest and relaxation, why are you going to a graveyard? You know, it seems like maybe you could pick a different spot than there it's like to, to rest up. It's not your like vacation spot. If you want to go to the coast, this is not the part of the coast you're going to, okay? But this is where they show up. And you can imagine the scene. It's probably late at night, early in the morning. It's dark. Maybe there's a fog on the coast. And as they're pulling up, they can hear the screams. The Bible says continually, this guy's screaming. Night and day, screaming. Night and day, he's cutting himself with stones. Remember 1 Kings 18, when the prophet Elijah, he's up on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal, and the prophets of Baal, you know, what do they do? They start cutting themselves with stones. Why? This is a practice of demonic worship. And so now it's the same thing. The demons have possessed this guy, and they're actually using this guy as a living sacrifice to the demonic world. And this is what they're pulling up to. This guy screaming, 
He's, and then he charges Jesus. As soon as Jesus gets off the boat, he charges him. And he's naked. He's got cuts all over his body. He's got wild hair and unkept beard, I'm sure. And he's screaming, running at Jesus. We don't get the disciples' response here, but I imagine they're like stumbling over themselves to get back in the boat, right? Like, what are we doing here? We're out of here, Jesus. But Jesus meets this guy. And when the guy's charging him, as you're reading the story, what you expect to happen when this madman screaming, naked, with cuts all over his body, you expect him to attack Jesus. It seems to be the logical thing that he's going to do. But he doesn't do that. Because once he gets close, once he gets right there, he actually bows down before Jesus. What have you to do with us, Jesus, son of the most high God? Like, what, what business do we have with each other? And then he says, just, just swear to God that you're not going to send us out of the country. See, the demons recognize who Jesus is. Swear to your father that you're not sending us out of here. And Jesus, he's, he's telling them, get out of the man, get out of the man. What's your name? You say, well, our name is Legion, for we're many. A legion of soldiers in those days, 6,000. Was it literal 6,000 demons in the sky? We don't know. It could have just been an idiom, maybe 6,000. We know there's thousands, right? Because they're all going to go into the pigs. There's a lot of them, no matter what. Thousands of demons in this one guy, this poor man. I mean, how, how, how he was suffering, how he was tormented, it's terrible. But Jesus tells the demons to leave, and then they ask, they beg Jesus, please don't send us out of the country. Hey, there's those pigs right there. Would you mind if we just kind of like went into the pigs? And Jesus grants permission for the demons to go into the pigs. Demons go into pigs. Pigs become su suicidal pigs right away. They just run right off the cliff, drown in the sea, boom. People hear about it, everyone's coming out. They come out and they're amazed. Why? Because they see this guy, they see the madman of the garrisons. Everybody knew this guy. I mean, this was the guy that moms had warned their kids about. You know, don't get too close to the coast because there's a crazy man down there. You hear those screams? That's him. Don't go down there. The town knew about this guy. I mean, he's, he's the scary guy. And he's somebody's son, somebody's grandson, somebody's brother. But here he is. They come and they're amazed because he's clothed and he's in his right mind. But then they find out that all their pigs are dead. They've all jumped into the sea. And at that moment, they don't care anymore about this guy, do they? No, they're afraid. They're terrified. Man, who is Jesus? See, Mark, he's setting. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus that's more powerful in a storm? Who is Jesus that's more powerful than the demons? Who is Jesus? They're terrified, but they're also looking at their pigs. And they're all dead. They're all gone. They're saying, Jesus, you got to get out of here. You just totally wrecked our economy. I mean, our financial future is just down the tubes. I mean, this is our livelihood here, and you've just killed all our pigs. And so they want them gone. Aren't you thankful that we've evolved so much as a society? You know, we'd, we'd never value animals more than people, would we? we? We'd never make laws to protect the eggs of bald eagles, the eggs of sea turtles, and at the same time fight for laws that 
would end preborn babies? We'd never do that, would we? See, the heart of man hasn't changed. The heart of humanity, the heart of society, it hasn't changed. Why? Because we still look after our own interests. What's best for me? What's most convenient for me? What's going to do the, you know, how, how am I going to get ahead? What's, what's best financially? We think the same way. And one of the points that's being made here, this is clear, when pigs are preferred, your priorities are out of whack. Okay, when pigs are, and pigs can be anything, by the way. It can be pigs, but it could also be just convenience, comfort, job, success. When all that stuff is preferred to people, when we love that more than we love people, right? When there are these people that we just write off, like, you know what? It was just easier when we just had one crazy man and we had our pigs. That was better. We could deal with one crazy man. But we lost 2,000 pigs. It was not worth it. That's essentially what they're saying. The trade wasn't worth it. I wouldn't trade 2,000 pigs for one man. And sometimes we can be the same way. We might not say it like that, but I'm not going to trade my convenience and my comfort and all this for this person. They seem kind of crazy. I'm just going to write that. You know, there's crazy people. Let's just write them off. The guy, he, he goes to Jesus, says, Jesus, can I just go with you? I mean, this is the homecoming I get here, right? You know, you think, you know, I'm, you're excited to see me. I'm back normal again. And they're just upset that you healed me. Can I, do you mind if I just hang out with you? I, I want to learn from you. I mean, I, I'd want the same thing, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you just want to hang with Jesus, the guy who healed you, rather than the town who's basically saying, we'd rather have our pigs than you. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus tells him, no, I want you to go back Go to your friends, go to the people, tell them how I've loved you, how I've shown mercy to you, how I've healed you. And so the man does, because that's what good news does. Good news just has to get out. I tell you this all the time. There's nowhere in the history of good news do you just say to yourself, you know what, this news is so great, I'm not going to tell anybody. you got to tell somebody. Right? Whenever something good happens to you, you find someone to tell. Because that's what happens with good news. And that's what happens with this guy. Since he's telling the whole Decapolis, I mean, he's going through the whole city, he's letting everybody know. This is who Jesus is, this is what he's done for me, this is how I've changed. See, faith produces action. Faith always produces action. That's why when Jesus was talking to the disciples, you have no faith. Why? Because their faith produced no action. No, no, when the rubber met the road, what did they do? Well, they're, they're just trying to scoop out the water. And he's setting us up for the same thing. Does your faith change the way you live? Does it make a difference in how you approach situations and how you love people and what you prioritize? Faith always produces action. Well, the people have told Jesus, get away leave, and he obliges. He gets back in the boat with the disciples, and they head right back to where they came from. I want you to see this. Mark chapter 5, 21 through 43. Verses 21 through 43. And when Jesus had crossed the sea in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came 
one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians. And she'd spent all the money that she had, but she was no better. Rather, she was growing worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I'll be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? And they looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion of people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he entered, he said to them, Why are you making commotion and weeping? The child is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went into where the child was, taking her by the hand. He said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the little girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know about this and told them to go and give her something to eat. It had already been quite a day, right? Two days, really, the day of teaching and crossing the lake, and then they cross the lake, and already there's the healing of the, of the guy with the demons, and now, well, they're forced to leave. They get back in the boat, and they go right back to where they came from. And somehow, everybody gets word. You know, this was before cell phones, okay? Before phones of any kind, Right? No one's calling anybody saying, hey, Jesus is on his way back. You might want to meet him, get a, get a greeting team together. No, there's just somebody who's looking out and they're seeing the boats. Hey, aren't those the boats that Jesus was in? He's on his way back. And word spreads. And just as fast as word spreads, the crowd gathers. So much so, it's hard for Jesus to even get out of the boat. He gets out of the boat and amongst this crowd, one man is allowed through because this is a man of authority. This is a man of influence. He's, he's the man who's the ruler of the synagogue, and he also has a little girl who's dying. And with a story like that, with power like that, of course you're letting this guy to the front of the line. Yeah, go, CGs, tell him your story. It says that he begs him earnestly. I imagine that's kind of a tame translation, right? I mean, how do you, how do you convey this type of emotion? You know that your little girl's dying? This type of desperation? Please, Jesus, there's, there's nothing to be done. You've got to come. You can understand how that plea might have gone. And Jesus accommodates. Yes, I'll go. And he begins walking with this man. There's a crowd of people, and they're walking. 
And in the midst of this crowd of people all walking, Jesus stops. Can you imagine being Jairus when Jesus just stopped? Like, Jesus, why are you, why are you stopping? My little girl, she's down. We don't have much time here. Time is of the essence. We've got to keep moving. Why are you stopping? But Jesus stops. Can you imagine being the disciples when Jesus asked the question, who touched me? I mean, they say it. Jesus, I mean, what do you mean, who touched you? Everybody's touching you. You see all the crowds of people? Everybody's bumping into you. Everybody's touched. What do you mean, who touched you? Can you imagine being Jairus there? We're stopping because somebody touched you? I mean, everybody's pushing each other. Everybody's bumping into each other. We're stopping because somebody touched you. It's no, not like this. There's somebody who touched me in faith. There's one who touched me in need of healing. And Jesus, he's, he's looking around to see who it is, this woman who's had this issue of blood for 12 years. She sees him. I imagine their eyes met, and she knows she's been caught. If you have kids, you know what it's like when you, when you catch your kid in the act of doing something wrong? Like, they're in the very middle, and they know they've been caught, right? Sometimes they just spilled the beans on everything, right? You discover even more than you knew. Right? Oh, all that too, huh? You know? And I imagine this is that woman that she knows she's been caught. And so with fear and trembling, she's falling. Jesus, you don't understand. I've got every doctor in town. I spent every penny I have. I know I'm an outcast. I know I can't touch anybody. I know Jesus, but I don't know what to do. And Jesus interrupts her. And do you see what he calls her? Put your finger on it. Put, put your finger. Do you see what he calls her? You know what Jesus often calls women when he meets them? Woman. That's what he says most every time. It's not a term of disrespect. It's a respectful term. It's just what he, it's a respectful way to address women at that time, just woman. It's what he calls his mom most of the time. You know, Mary comes to Jesus, Jesus, the wedding, they've run out of wine. You got to do something. Woman, it's not my time. But now with this lady, it's different. He doesn't call her woman. He calls her daughter daughter. Why? Because the physical healing is only part of it, right? She's got to be restored completely. She's, she's been an outcast in society 12 years. She's been unclean. She's been defiled. She can't be with her family. She can't be with her friends. She's got to live on the outside of town. She can't go to temple. She can't worship with the, with the religious community. She's, she's an outcast, and she knows that if she goes to any other man, if she touches any other man, if she touches any other rabbi, there's serious consequences for this behavior because then she's just made them defiled. She's made them unclean. She can't just go and touch people. She can't just enter a crowd like this. That's why she's so afraid. She knows she's, she's been caught. She also knows she's been healed, doesn't she? Because immediately her issues dried up. And Jesus, he looks at her and he says, daughter, saying, I see you. Daughter, you have a family again. Daughter, you, you, you belong again. You're part of the community again. Daughter, your faith has made you well. 
And as this conversation is going on, another conversation begins to happen. Because people from Jairus' house run up to him and they tell Jairus, Jairus, I'm so sorry, but it's too late. Your little girl's dead. There's no need to bother Jesus anymore. Just leave him alone. Let's go home. Now, I want to stop here for just a moment. Maybe you got something going on in your life, and it's hard, and it's tough, and people have told you it's just time to move on. You know, it's time to turn the page, get over it. It's, it, it's, it's done. You know, things didn't go according to plan. We wouldn't want it to be this way, but you got to move on. You just got, you just got to go. Well, Jesus looks to Jairus, and he says, don't be afraid, only believe. We don't get Jairus' response to that, but I imagine, I mean, just as a dad, you know, like Jesus, I mean, the audacity of that statement. Jesus, my little girl just died. You're telling me not to be afraid? Jesus, now I'm walking home, to prepare a funeral for my 12-year-old baby girl? You're telling me not to be afraid, only believe? Jesus, I don't know if I can get there. But Jesus, he walks with them. And that's what I want you to see. People, maybe they tell you to turn the page. Maybe they tell you to get over it, whatever. Jesus walks with them. He, he gets everybody else away. No, no one else is coming here. I'm just I'm, I'm going to bring a few disciples along, but all the crowds, you got to stay back. You, well, I'm just going to have some time with you. You know, Jesus doesn't promise healing, not, not physical healing all in this life. Think, things aren't always going to go to plan, and things aren't always going to be made the way that we would want them. But you know what Jesus does promise us? I'm never going to leave you. I'll walk with you. I'll be present with you. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to forsake you. And this is what he does with Jairus. He walks with him. Wouldn't you like to be a part of that walk? Just wondering, what, I wonder what Jesus said to him. Did he say anything? Did they just walk? We don't know. We do know that when they get there, when they reach the house, man, it's a house of weeping. It's a house of wailing. There's so much pain. There's so much anguish because a little girl has died. And in those days, the whole community, they all gather together. They go to the house and everybody's weeping. Everybody's wailing. And when you have pain like that, when you have anguish that just cuts that deep, you don't know what's coming out, do you? I mean, some people, you can imagine, they're just on the ground, just, just crying, other people just yelling, punching the wall. I mean, you don't know. It's just it, it, anger, anguish. I mean, it, it expresses itself in so many different ways. It's unstable, really. And this is what Jesus is walking into. He walks into a home like this. And he says, what's all this racket about? I mean, can you imagine? What? They must have just wanted to say to Jesus, what do you mean, what is all this commotion about? I mean, what's wrong with you, Jesus? How do you say this to people whose little girl has just died? I mean, what is wrong? 
I don't think Jesus gave them time to really answer it. He just presses it even further. She's not dead. She's only sleeping. And at that point, they laugh. Not because what Jesus said is funny. Because sometimes there's a pain and there's a hurt and there's a heartache that's so deep that when someone says something that's almost off the wall, there's a laughter on the other side of pain. You know what I mean? It's like your body doesn't know anything else to do. So it just, you just laugh. And yeah, it's a laugh of unbelief, but it's, it's a laugh because ah, if I don't laugh, it's going to get ugly here real fast. So I'm just going to laugh at this. And they're laughing. And Jesus, he takes the little girls, mom and dad, and his three disciples he clears out the rest of the room, and he goes in. He's not going to be hindered by unbelief. And he takes the little girl by the hand, and he has her get up, and he tells them to go get something to eat for her. Go get her something to eat, and don't tell anybody about this. And I almost wonder if it's like reverse psychology or something here, right? Like, don't tell it. How are you not going to tell anybody that your 12-year-old girl was dead, and now she's alive? I mean, how do you not say that, you know? It's made me wonder, maybe I should just end my services every once in a while and just say, okay, this week, don't share Jesus or impact people, okay? Like, you know, this is so good. Just keep it undercover, just, you know. And then you'd be, oh, man, I'm going to do it just to spite you now. Like, we're going to, we're making disciples this week, boy. Now, Jesus knows that he's already been pushed outside of the town before. Like, the crowds are coming in, and and he's trying to protect the ministry that he's going to do. He wants to be able to enter the cities and continue to share. And if too much gets out, well, then it's almost constricting because the masses, they come, they just want miracles. And then Jesus, well, he'll deal with that, and we'll see that. But, uh, you know, the people were so desperate, weren't they? Meet two just incredibly desperate people. Very different. One with a lot of power. One with no power. One, we know his name, Jairus. The other, well, she seems to kind of emerge from the crowd and then kind of fade back into the crowd. Mark never even stopped to get her name. Two people, very different walks of life, but just as desperate, weren't they? Whether you're powerful and have authority, whether you're lowly and an outcast, they recognize our only hope is Jesus. And so it speaks to us, your only hope is Jesus. It doesn't matter what your walk in life is. Maybe it seems like on the outside you got everything together, life, success. Maybe it's my life has fallen apart, I got nothing together. Jesus. No matter what, your need is just the same. Jesus. Why? Because he touches everything, every moment of every day. No situation is too big for him. And no situation is too small or too mundane that he doesn't care. And he's just like, yeah, whatever. This is what Mark is waking us up to. That Jesus, he can handle whatever it is. And do we believe that? Because I think if we really believe that, you know, when you pulled into your parking spot this morning, and you can't walk in the building this morning, were people just like desperate to get in here? Like, man, you're like fighting through the crowd. Man, I got it. You know, we got to get in. No. Do you, you ever meet people 
who maybe at your job, like lunch break or something, and you can tell, man, they just want to talk to you. Or maybe you get home, and there's someone in their driveway, and they see that you're driving in, and they're thinking, I, I want to get over, and I want to talk to you. Why? Because there's something about the way you live. There's something about the way that in the face of pain, there's still peace. There's something about in the midst of hurt, somehow there's still joy. When things begin to crumble, there's still confidence. There's something about you. If I can just talk to you, maybe you can help me. Because the fact of the matter is there's a lot of desperate people out there, right? The heart of humanity hasn't changed. Our desperation is just as deep. And yet, I don't think there's a lot of people out there who are saying, if I just get to Central, if I just find a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching, Bible-living church, maybe that would help. Now, in their desperation, they're doing things, all kind of foolish things. But I know through even Central Cares the last couple of weeks, just getting out and talking to some people, you know, sometimes you've had the question too, I'm sure, oh, who are you guys with? Oh, with Central. Well, where's that? It's on Hodges Ferry. It's like right across from the fire station. Oh, yeah, I think I've seen it. You know, I've lived here all my life. Yeah, I, th I, think, I, I think I know what you're talking about. They don't even know we're here, some people. Why? Because the mind tells the eye what to look for. You know how it works? You're hungry, you're driving around, and your mind tells you, I got to find a restaurant. I got to find someplace to eat. And you start looking around. Where's the restaurant? You know that you're running out of gas? Your mind tells you, you got to find a gas station. And so you're looking around, where's the gas station? When you're in its point of desperation, does your mind tell your eye to look for the church? And I don't just mean a building, but I mean the family of God, to come alongside and to encourage and to speak truth to you. And to the people that you're with, do they say, you know what? There's something about the way you live. There's, there's something about, if I can just get to you, I can get to Jesus. See, when people are desperate, your life should make them want Jesus. When people are desperate, your life should make them want Jesus. You know, I pray this week that our friends will say, Man, if I can just talk to Steve, you know, if I can just talk to you, they can just talk to us. They're going to speak truth to us. They're going to lead us to Jesus. Their lives will tell them that. And we have that confidence because we know Jesus is more powerful than any storm. He's more powerful than any demon. He's more powerful than any disease. He's even more powerful than death. And so he makes a difference in every moment of every day. And when you have faith, and a Jesus who is that big, who is greater than all these things, you better believe that that type of faith produces action. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you that you are a personal, loving God. You're a God who sees all of us. You're... You're not too big not to notice the woman in the crowd who's got a disease for 12 years. God, and there's no one who you look at and say, well, you think you're so high and mighty, I'm not going to mess with you either. But God, you, you'll, you'll go to the least of these, and you'll go to the guys who are 
up and out as well. And God, our need for you is just the same. It's a total, complete need. Help us to recognize that. Help us to have a type of faith that we love you, and in loving you, we love others. God, we recognize we need your help for that. So we ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.